Good morning. Good to be with you guys. Somebody's excited about that video. Uh, we had a great time at the ARC conference last uh, week. If you're new to Seacoast, uh, ARC is Association of Related Churches, and uh, just a great time encouraging a bunch of church planters. We planted 410 churches uh, up to this point and are on pace to plant 2,000 churches by the year 2020. Yeah, isn't that cool? One of my favorite comments that I heard at the art com conference was John Maxwell spoke and he said, if you're in over your head, it doesn't really matter how deep the water is. And I thought, that's how I feel every time I speak at Seco. So, uh, but I'm excited about the opportunity to be with you guys this weekend. Thank you so much for uh, worshiping with us and want to welcome all of you that are at our campuses, uh, watching with us online um, or any other location. We're just excited to have you guys along for the ride as well. It's going to be a fun, fun weekend together. Have you guys ever, uh, I, I, need, I need your help with this. How many of you would say that you have got a letter, handwritten letter that someone wrote you and you've got it stored away at your house in a box or in a closet or something? How many of you guys have a letter? Yeah, a lot of us have kept letters. Letters can be really uh, powerful, can't they? Because you put your thoughts on paper and maybe it was from a parent who maybe has passed away or is no longer with you and uh, that letter is just a meaningful thing for you or maybe it's from a spouse uh, and it was back from a time that you went through a difficult you know, season and they wrote a letter and it's really just an encouragement to you. Might be an ex-boyfriend and you've kept that letter because you're still holding out hope. And if you've, if you've remarried, you need to get rid of that letter, okay? <laughs> just trash it. You might want to talk to your spouse about that on the way home. And Actually, don't. Don't even talk to your spouse about it. Just get rid of, get rid of the letter. A couple of weeks ago, Lisa and I, my wife, had a chance to get away. We've been in a pretty busy ministry season and uh, we were going to do a, a vision retreat, kind of a marriage retreat for ourselves, and uh, we had been at a conference a few months ago, and the conference speaker said, hey, make it a habit every year to get away and just get some vision for your marriage and for your family that year, and, 
And so we did it and we flew, uh, but we took separate flights because I had a voucher um, for a free flight and she had Sky Miles and we didn't want to spend the money. So we took separate flights, which isn't a really good way to start a retreat together. But <laughs> that night before we left, I had this thought, I, I kind of dug deep into the archives of my, my romance re- repertoire and I thought, I'm going to write her a letter, just a handwritten letter. She'll open it on the plane. It'll be great. And so I took out a piece of paper and I just began to reminisce a little bit about the 13 years of marriage that we've had together and just wrote about some of the, the memories and great times that we've had and talked to her about what a great wife she is and great activist and mom. And uh, then I, I asked her to, to be thinking about and be praying about what she might hope that God would do in our marriage this year and our family this year. And, and what I was trying to do is set the tone for what the retreat would be like when we got back together. And so I wrote, uh, wrote a few more things that are private. I'm not going to share them with you. Um, but, but it was great. And we, we reunited at the airport at our destination and just had a great, great retreat together. And I was thinking about that this week as I was preparing. And I was reminded of a letter that Jesus wrote to his bride. They too had been separated. Uh, Jesus was uh, had already lived his life and, and died on the cross for our sins, was raised to dead and had ascended to heaven and was at, at the right hand throne of God. And, and, but he was gonna be coming together with his church again. And so he wrote his church a letter, uh, a love letter. Can you imagine, I was thinking about what it would be like to be the pastor of that church, actually to receive a handwritten letter delivered by an angel to the church. I mean, if I'm that pastor, I'm getting on Facebook that week, and it's, you got to get to church this week. I mean, it's going to be incredible. We got a letter from Jesus. Now, I've gotten a few emails from Jesus, but it turns out it really wasn't from Jesus. It was one of you guys uh, who thought you were Jesus and had some words, but this, this was a real letter, like the real thing. Jesus had a word for his church, and so I imagine that weekend, it was crazy, busy, crowded, people everywhere coming into church together, and Pastor gets to that moment in the service. They've worshiped and he says, it's, it's time to read the letter. Let's read. What does Jesus want to say to his bride? And so he, he opens up the letter and, and, and I'll paraphrase, but, but Jesus wrote this letter and it says, dear church, my beloved, every time I look at you, it makes me want to vomit. <laughs> I'm not joking. This is what the letter said, can you imagine, like, I'm, um, this is the wrong letter? Could, you, could someone get me the letter Jesus wrote? There's no way he would, but no, Jesus said, literally says this to his church, you make me sick. You know, Jesus said some pretty outrageous things from time to time. If you read your Bible, it doesn't take very long for you to realize that Jesus sometimes said things that went against the grain a little bit. Uh, that maybe were difficult to understand. And, and so we're doing a series that we're kicking off this weekend. I'm excited about it. We're calling it Outrageous, Stuff Jesus Said. Because if, if you get very far in your Bible, you're gonna come across some things that, that kind of make you go, really? Like, did he really say that? And if you're like me, you tend to sort of skim over that stuff and get to stuff that makes a little bit more sense to you. Uh, but what we wanna do for these eight weeks is we really wanna just look at some of these outrageous things that Jesus said, and, and I think it's gonna be cool because I think we're gonna kinda get a, a greater depth of our knowledge of who Jesus is. Because most of us have this idea of who Jesus is based on our kind of experience and, and the, the scriptures that stand out to us the most, and many of us, we think Jesus is just an extremely kind, loving guy, and he, he loves to hold babies, and he loves to hold sheep, and uh, he, you know, he's 
kind of effeminate and just, just he, he loves a hug and cry. Just this, and, and that's maybe not actually who Jesus was or is. Certainly a kind man, certainly loves children, but, but Jesus sometimes said some things that were like, whoa. Uh, for example, a couple of, couple of things, and we may hit these during the series. One time he was preaching to a group of people, and he, he's talking, and he's, he makes a statement. He says, if you want to follow me, you must hate your mom and dad. Now, if I'm a disciple, I'm going, all right, all right, Jesus. Like, we know what you're trying to say here. You should love Jesus more than you love your family. That's fine. We're all on board with that. But could you tone it down a little bit? Because people are a little, kind of a little weirded out by, by that kind of language. But, but he chose to use that strong language. One time, uh, there was a, a, a young man that came to Jesus, wealthy, wealthy young man. And he said, hey, seeker, you know, just said, Jesus, what do I need to do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus looks at him and he says, you need to go home, sell everything, your house, your furniture, everything you own, get rid of it. Give all the money to the poor and then come back and follow me. And the guy walks away dejected. And then Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, listen guys, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to inherit the kingdom of heaven. Now, if I'm one of the disciples, like dude, Jesus, this guy could have written one check Funded the whole next campaign. I mean, he could have taken care of everything. Like this guy, well, c- could you tone it down a little bit? We're trying to build something here. Like that guy would have been an awesome addition to our team and you just ran him off. One time Jesus fed 5,000 people and you've heard that story and probably the height of his popularity, there's crowds gathering over 5,000 people and he's teaching them and he's talking to them and it's making a lot of sense. And then he says, I want you to eat my flesh and drink my blood. How many of you know the cult antennas went up at that point? It's like, what, 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 what'd you say? And here's what the Bible says about that, John 6, 66. How's that for a scripture reference for you? <laughs> says, and it's not a good scripture, you'll see. It says, at this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. See, I'm a little nervous about this series because if we really want to explore all of what Jesus said, some of it's going to be tough for some of us to swallow. Some, he said some things that, that thin the crowds sometimes. But I think my prayer, my hope for us at the end of this series is that we're going to really understand Jesus in his fullness. We're going to understand why he said some things. We're going to tackle some of these things. Because here's the deal. Jesus said outrageous things from time to time because he wants us to live outrageous lives. B- because he, he expects us to live outrageous lives. He, he wasn't trying to build a crowd. Jesus wasn't interested in gathering a big group of fans. You know, Jesus fanboys, let's go hang out and drink coffee. You know, he, he was on mission to change the world. And so sometimes he said things that, that would, would cause people to, to, to really wrestle with, am I really gonna be a part of this or not? And so I'm excited about the series and we're gonna start with this letter that Jesus wrote. You make me want to vomit. Some of you are like, I don't remember seeing that. Like where was it, what, what Bible are you reading, Josh? It's actually in the book of Revelation. Uh, and, and Jesus, you know, as I said, he, he had been apart from his church, but he was, he was w- looking at his church, and, and, and he sent seven different letters to seven different specific churches. And the one that I'm referring to was the last one that he sent, the church of Laodicea. And, and Revelation can be scary. I understand that. It's like, man, do we really talk about that in church? Like, that, that's the one that, and, and, and I really hope we do a series sometime on Revelation, because it's a great book. 
but, but you do have some conspiracy theories that come out because of it. Some crazy stuff's been written. You know, Justin Bieber is the Antichrist, according to some, because, you know, but whatever. But the wrong question to read when you're reading Revelation, the wrong question to ask is, when is Jesus coming back? You know, and that's where you get weird. People, like, have these formulas, and it's going to be now, it's going to be that. Really, it says soon. And I think part of the reason it says soon is because every generation since then has thought it might be during our time, which I think is a good thing. We want, the question we want to ask is, am I going to be prepared when Jesus comes back? And so he writes this letter to his church, and I just want to read it to you, and, um, and, and then we'll talk about what it might have to do with our lives. Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22, if you have your Bibles, that's kind of where we're going to be hanging out. He says, write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. That's kind of a fancy biblical Old Testament way of saying Jesus. The amen, amen means truth. Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. And uh, John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and says, this is a letter from the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. So it's Jesus is writing the letter. He says, I know all the things that you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other, but since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that's been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also, buy white garments from me, so you will not be shamed by your nakedness. An ointment for your eyes, so you'll be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. Father, I pray this morning that we would have ears to hear. Lord, I just pray that you would speak to us this morning, use your word, your letter, uh, God, that we'd have ears to hear the word that you have for us, whether that's a word of encouragement, whether that's a word of correction. Um, Lord, we just, we, we want to have an openness to experience you and to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, you make me want to vomit. That translation said, you make me want to spit you out of my mouth. But I can think of some people that I would, I would think that Jesus would say that to. You know, I think about human trafficking. You know, our family's been involved in that. Well, actually, not, we've been fighting it. We haven't been involved in it. Just, <laughs> let's make that clear. But, but these guys, these traffickers who would sell these women into sexual slavery, I mean, I would think that would make Jesus want to vomit. Uh, you, you've, you've got murderers and, and rapists and uh, just criminals or, or, or people who have power and they abuse the power. Like, I would think these are people that, that would make Jesus want to vomit. People who love cats, you know, like, seriously. <laughs> or how about this? The, the, the people who change their kids' diapers at the dinner table instead of, like, going into the bathroom at the restaurant. Can I get an amen? That, that's, that's nasty. But Jesus isn't talking to any of these people, right? He's talking to his church, the bride of Christ, the people that he died for. The, the, the church, and he says, you make me sick. What on earth 
could this church have done to make him sick? What's the story? Well, I want to give you just a little bit of background for a minute. Laodicea. Uh, it was a town in what is currently modern-day Turkey. Uh, it was Asia Minor, and I think we got a map that we, uh, we can show you the, a little bit of the, the, the picture of where they are. So you can see you've got Ephesus, which is on the coast, and about 100 miles east of that is Laodicea. It's right below Philadelphia. Philadelphia moved a few hundred years ago over here. Uh, actually, it's, it's a different Philadelphia. Um, but, but this was a very wealthy, wealthy city, very prideful city. Uh, they, they, they were the richest of the rich. In fact, about 35 year, years before this letter was written to this church, they experienced an earthquake that just flattened the city, completely devastated, ruined everything. And the, Rome kind of stepped in and said, hey, we'll help, we'll come, we'll send teams, we'll rebuild. And they said, no, we don't want your help. It would be like Katrina, you know, in New Orleans. It would be like them just saying, we don't want any help, we'll take care of it ourselves. And they rebuilt their city even bigger and better than it was before. They had these massive stadiums and they had these entertainment complexes and they built these amphitheaters. Every ancient city, like biblical city, if you go look at the ruins or the, where they, they've dug up some of the, the old cities, they all have these amphitheaters. But Laodicea built two just because they could. They're like, we're just gonna do two. Tens of thousands of people could come and be entertained. It would be like the, the strip of Las Vegas being built overnight and, and without any help from the outside. They were just a very very prideful, wealthy, just successful city. But all of that success came with a price. See, as they built this incredible city and enjoyed its amenities, they forgot about God. I mean, sure, they believed in him. They would certainly have called themselves Christ followers. They had a church, they gathered together, but, but really, if you looked at their life, they lived as if they didn't need God. So, so Jesus says to him, I know your deeds. Notice he doesn't say, I know what you say. He says, I'm, I'm looking at what you're doing and, and it makes me sick. He says, you're neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either cold or hot. What does he mean by that? Well, another fact about this city is while they had all this wealth, they didn't have a water source that was sufficient to, to cover the needs of the city. And so they had two cities. One was Colossae, it was about eight miles south of them. And one was called Hierapolis, and it was north. And Colossae had these really cold streams that were coming from the mountains. And so they built these aqueduct systems that would get the water from these cold streams and bring them up to uh, Laodicea. Laodicea was kind of up on a plain. Uh, and then they had uh, north of them this city of Hierapolis, and they had these hot springs. Have any of y'all ever been in hot springs, like in the mountains? These, you know, great hot water. And they built an aqueduct system there as well. And we showed pictures, very, very impressive aqueduct system. I mean, very, very impressive technology, especially for that day. But what would happen is as the water would get from the source, travel through the aqueduct system and get to the actual place where you would draw water from in Laodicea, it had lost its either coldness or hotness and it was lukewarm. And so if you were visiting this city and you were going to get some water, it, it would probably make you, it'd give you kind of a gag reflux. I mean, it was not very good water. And so when Jesus says, hey, you're neither hot or cold, you're lukewarm, yeah, you make me want to spit you out of my mouth. He's actually using language that was very current to their culture. They would have understood exactly what he was talking about. And the word spit you out of my mouth is a Greek word, emeo, and it's E-M-E-O, and it actually means to vomit, if you were to translate it literally. So I'm not just trying to use extreme language. It's literally what he said to him. He said, it makes me sick when I look at the church today. It's not what 
I wanted it to be. Why such a harsh reaction? Because they were lukewarm. Lukewarm Christian. That's an oxymoron. Those are two words that should never go together. Lukewarm Christian. It's, it's kind of like Microsoft works, right? I mean, like two words that just don't, government efficiency. You know, like you just don't use those words in the same sentence. It's like a stylish minivan. It just doesn't work. I own one, trust me. When I bought that thing, I took a selfie on Instagram. I thought it was really cool. It's not. It's just not cool. Oxymoron. Lukewarm Christian. Two words that just, just don't go, to, go together. Some things just weren't meant to be lukewarm. I, I know many of you, and, and, and some of you guys, you, you come home from a, a hard day's work, and maybe you're tired, and, and you just go, honey, would you mind just going down to the garage? Just grab me a, a nice lukewarm beer. I just would love to, to just chill, relax. No, or, or maybe it's Diet Coke. Just get me, just, I, I want it room temperature. It'd be perfect, baby. Just get that for me. No, it's, it's good if it's cold, uh, but it's not good, lukewarm. You know, I, what if I were to draw, you know, a bath and I take a bath and, and I come to my wife the next day and I say, baby, I took a bath last night and I thought about you and I know you've been stressed out. I left the water in there for you. I put a candle in, just hop in. It's lukewarm. It's perfect. You're going to love it. Just relax. No, that's gross, right? It's disgusting. You want your bath hot? Maybe you want to take a cold shower. That could be useful, but lukewarm, there's no use for that. That's, that's just gross. Or, or you injure yourself, right? And you go to the doctor. You say, oh yeah, it looks like, looks like you really jacked up your, your ankle. Here's what I want you to do. Just get a lukewarm compress and just put it on it just nice and lukewarm, right? No. Cold is helpful. Hot is helpful. Lukewarm, that's not helpful. There's no purpose for that. You don't go to Starbucks and say, hey, could I get a tall, non-fat latte? Yesterday's coffee, please, just lukewarm would be great. It'd be awesome. It's gross. It's disgusting. Some things just weren't meant to be lukewarm. They either need to be hot or they need to be cold. And according to Jesus, the church is at the top of that list. See, when he looked at this church, it, it gave him that, the, the gag reflux, made him sick to his stomach. He's looking at this church and he's going, this isn't what I died for. This isn't the movement that, that, that we started. This isn't gonna change the world. H how can you be lukewarm and follow Christ? To be a follower of Christ means that we, we die to ourselves. You know, it's, it's not something that you can do in this just kind of lukewarm way. You, know, you can't look at the man who bled and died on a cross for our sins and just be haphazard about that. It's just not meant to be, there shouldn't be such a thing. And, and frankly, when Jesus looks at that, it makes him sick. How do I know if I'm lukewarm? Forgive me for the Jeff Foxworthy uh, illustration here, but you might be a lukewarm Christian if you come to church to network instead of to worship. You know, if your prevailing thought coming in is, man, I hope I get to meet some people, maybe connect with some people, might help my business. And instead of your prevailing thought being, I get to encounter the presence of the living God. I wanna, I wanna worship him. If, if, if your thought process is more on the networking side, you, you might be lukewarm. You, know, you might be lukewarm if, if you talk more about what God did for you in the past than what he's doing for you in the present. If your conversations about God are, are mostly about what he, what he did for me rather than what he's doing for me or what he's doing in me or what I see him doing for me in the future, it might be an indication that you're kind of drifting into this place of lukewarmness. You know, you might be a lukewarm Christian if, if you really blend in rather than stand out. 
If, if really no one, no one could pinpoint anything different about you you're in your workplace, you're like, ah, yeah, just like everybody else, might be an indication that we're kind of drifting into this lukewarm place. You know, if you act a different way around your church friends than you do your other friends, it might be an indication that there's some, some lukewarmness in your life. Maybe you come to church semi-regularly and, and you, you receive from church, but you never really get involved. You never give or you never serve or you never connect or you never take any of those steps. And, and please hear me. I'm so glad that you're here, but it might be an indication that this passage of scripture might be, might be for you, that there might be some, some lukewarmness in you. You know, I think about the church of Laodicea and I can't help but think about the American church because frankly, I mean, we have it pretty good. I think about their stadiums and their, the, just the, the wealth and I think, man, we've got it really good here. You know, it's, it's not hard to be a Christian in America. Are the values changing? Sure. Uh, it, it, you know, it's, it's, it, you, I'm sure you've noticed that, but, but really, generally speaking, it's a pretty easy place to say, yeah, I'm, I'm a believer. And it's probably a pretty easy place to, to live out this lukewarm Christianity. We were at the art conference this week and you know, we took some time uh, just to connect with some of the church planters that we've, we planted, you know, Ernest and Naeem and Ryan May and Sean Wood and uh, just great, great time connecting with, with some people. And, uh, and, and we also had some international pastors. And at the end of our time together, we just took some time to pray for each other. What can we pray for you about? And had different people sharing different prayer requests and it was great, you know, family and church and a friend of ours, Christian, and uh, he's in Pakistan. Uh, and he, he was at, with us as well and got to his turn to share a prayer request. And he said, guys, if you wouldn't mind praying, I've got a, a really good friend, a brother in Christ in Pakistan who serves in ministry. And just a few days ago, he was sentenced, sent, sentenced to death for his faith. Uh, and so it's kind of caused us to be a little bit concerned. And uh, probably in the next three or four days, he's going to be hung in front of his family for his faith. And I thought, oh my gosh, you, you can't be lukewarm in that environment, Right. You're either in or you're not. There's not much room for lukewarm Christianity. You're either going to own it or you're not. And I thought, man, it's, it's easy to be lukewarm here. What could cause us to be lukewarm? I just want to look at a couple of uh, possibilities out of this passage of Scripture. The first one is this. Too much success. Too much success can lead us down a pathway to becoming lukewarm. Look what uh, Jesus said in Revelation 3.17. He said, you say I'm rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. You know, it's interesting to me uh, in that passage, he says, you act like you don't need me. You act like you have it all together. But if you know anything about Laodicea, they had three primary sources of, of wealth in Laodicea. Uh, one was banking. It was kind of like Zurich. It was a very uh, big banking industry. They had gold. They had all this income, yet Jesus looks at him and says, you're poor. You think you're rich, but you're poor. Secondly, they had a, it was kind of a clothing line. They had this, it was a black wool, uh, and it stood out. It was very rare, but they had these sheep that created this black wool, and it was really good, especially for like outer garments, so coats. And if you, if you would think about the designer lines, the Armanis or whatever, this is where you would get them back in the day. Uh, people would go to Laodicea to get these outer garments because they were so rare. They were so well known for it, and it, it was a, a producer of a lot of income, and Jesus looks at him and says, you're naked. You're, you're proud about this industry, but, but you're naked. And then they had a medical school, uh, and, and they were known for one particular product. It was a salve 
that you would put on your eyes and people would come from all over the world if they had vision issues or if they, they were blind and they would use this salve uh, and it would, it would cure their vision issues. And so they were known for this salve, yet Jesus looks at them and says, you're blind, you're blind. See, all these things that they were proud of, that, that were successful, good things, they had sort of become idols for them and they led them to become lukewarm. Is success a bad thing? Not at all. I don't think success is bad at all. I think God wants to see his children prosper and grow. But, but if we're not careful, we can start to just really become comfortable in our success. And we begin to depend on the, the wife or the husband or the, the success, the money, the business, the whatever. And, and all of a sudden, we, we, we sort of don't have this need for God anymore. Most of us, when we, when we came into a relationship with Christ, it was out of a place of, of recognizing our despair, our need for him, uh, our, 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 our hopelessness and loss in our sin or whatever it might have been. And we cry out and we call out to God and, and, he, and he, he saves us and we experience success and all of a sudden it's like, oh, I'm okay, I'm good. He says, be careful, you, you might be lukewarm. Another thought that could lead to it is too much time since your last encounter with Jesus. Too much time since your last encounter with Jesus. Yeah, I got saved when I was 18 years old. And I'm telling you, when that happened, it was like a radical conversion. It was in a small group here at Seacoast and, and everything about my life changed. I was hot. I was a hot Christian in more ways than one, according to my wife. <laughs> but like literally, I would go on, I went on a mission trip a couple years later for a month long. Who has time to go on a mission trip for a month? But when you're on fire for God, it doesn't matter. You'll figure it out. You'll make a way. You'll find the money. You'll get off work. You do it. Uh, I, I could not wait for the doors of the church to open. I loved coming into worship and first Wednesday and I'd come with my pen ready and my journal ready. I, Lord, what do you want to say to me today? I served, I got involved in children's ministry. I gave sacrificially. I didn't make any money, but I, I gave and it, it felt great. And it was like, man, I'm involved. I'm leading a group and just hot for God, white hot for God. But as I look back on my life, I realized that probably about three to five years in, you know, a, a little bit of distance between that time that Jesus saved me to then. And I began to notice that I became a little bit complacent about some things. You know, I, I got married, which was a huge blessing, uh, but maybe I began to depend a little bit on my wife instead of God. And, and, and over time, just other areas of compromise in my life, there were some things that I, I would never have, have watched <clears throat> or participated in. And I found myself just in this place where oh, it doesn't really bother me so much anymore. It kind of drifted into complacency. And just like the waters and the aqueducts, where they'd gotten distant too far from the source of the water, many of us, it's been a while since we've really encountered Jesus, since we've really experienced his presence and his power in our lives. And maybe we're just feeling a little bit lukewarm, maybe in a relationship with Christ, maybe in a marriage, maybe in you know, uh, an area that you were passionate about at one time and now it's just kind of there. What do we do about that? Well, I thank God that he didn't stop there. He didn't say, you make me want to vomit, see you later. He, he continued on. And I want to pull, as we close, about three things that we can learn, that we can do if we find ourselves in this place. And maybe you're there today, just feeling like, yeah, a little bit lukewarm. What do we do? The first thing we do is receive the rebuke. Receive the rebuke. Look at Revelation 3.19. He says, I correct and discipline everyone that I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. 
He says, I wouldn't be writing a letter if I didn't love you. And I don't know about you, but I'd rather get a letter of rebuke than no letter at all. Jesus hadn't given up on this church. Jesus hadn't quit on this church. He says, I love you. I care about you. And many of us, you're here today and maybe you, you're not in a position to receive correction very often. You're the parent in the relationship. You're the boss in the relationship. And, and, and you're not used to people coming at you with challenge like that. But Jesus is saying, man, I'm doing it because I love you. And, and we're going to be tempted to kind of well up in pride and, well, wait, wait a minute. You know, why, why are you talking like this? You know, I thought this was a seeker-friendly place or whatever, and we're all about God's grace. None of us would be where we are if, if, if it weren't for God's grace. But sometimes Jesus needs to bring some challenge into our lives. You know, I'm a parent, I've got three kids, and Miles is our oldest, he's six. He's a great kid, such a great kid, such a great heart. Uh, he's gonna be a world changer. And I usually only tell stories about things when he got in trouble, um, and that's what I'm gonna do today too, but I just want you to know he's a good kid. We had noticed a couple months ago that he was beginning to just tell some of these white lies. Like, just didn't make any sense. It was ridiculous. Like, you know, hey, did you brush your teeth? Yeah, I did. Really? Because your breath still stinks and your toothbrush is dry, but, uh, uh, well, I guess I didn't. I'll go brush them. And so we, you know, Lisa and I are talking about it. We're just being gentle and loving and kind of just trying to correct him a little bit. Go, Miles, buddy, listen. You know, God's word talks about how we need to be truth teller. We need to tell the truth and, 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 and you're a Surratt and we're gonna be truth tellers in this family and just trying to lovingly correct him. And over time we realized it really wasn't doing a whole lot of good. He continued to tell these, these white lies. And so a couple weeks ago, uh, about seven o'clock in the morning, we're getting ready for school and Miles is in the bathroom and he's in the bathroom for like 10 minutes. So I go and I kind of knock on the door. Hey buddy, you okay? Yeah, dad, I'm fine. Just using the bathroom. Okay. Do you need help? No, 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 I'm good. Okay. So about five, 10 minutes later, it goes, goes by and he come, finally comes out of the bathroom. And I'm like, buddy, are you okay? Like your stomach feeling okay? Is, uh, he's like, no, dad, I'm good. But sometimes it just takes me longer than others. Okay, well, that's, that's fine. Let's get ready for school. So I went back to the bathroom to check it out. I didn't know what kind of mess I was gonna be walking into. I just wanna make sure we were good. And it was fine. It looked clean. It looked like he'd washed his hands. It's great. I looked in the trash can, which the trash had gone the night before. So I'd emptied everything and there's a, Little wrapper of cookies, package of cookies. <laughs> okay, that's what took so long. So I come out and I say, Miles, what were you doing in there? Oh, just going potty. Really? Were you doing anything else that you think you may want to tell daddy about? No, just going potty. No big deal. I'm good. So I said, Miles, I know what you were doing in there. Do you want to talk about it? Um, well... So I did eat some cookies in there, but it was all while I was going potty. So like, no big deal. And I'm like, okay, son, we're going to talk about this. And I took him to school and I was kind of, yeah, I was mad. I was upset with, because he's not telling the truth. And that night, uh, you know, I'd kind of taken some time to process it, talked to some friends about it, talked to Lisa about it. And, and, and we realized that, you know what, our approach isn't working. We're trying to be gentle. He needs some consequences. He, he needs some challenge here. And so we brought some challenge, if you know what I'm saying, okay? You don't have to call DSS. It wasn't that big of a deal. But we, we realized we're gonna have to deliver some consequences. We're gonna have to take some things away. We're gonna have to get his attention here because if we don't, he's gonna just continue on this pathway. And you know what? I love him way too much to let him develop some character issues that are gonna cause major problems 10, 15, 20 years down the road in marriages or in workplace or in his effectiveness uh, as a believer. And, and so... So we brought some challenges. And you know what? I hated it. 
it broke my heart to see him well up with tears when, when, we, when we told him what was going to happen. And, and, and it, 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 it killed me. But I loved him too much not to do that. And, and we've seen some great fruit. And that's what Jesus is doing here. That's his posture. He's going, I need to get this church's attention. Uh, I'm going to have to say something that, that's going to get their attention. And I just want to encourage you, receive it. Posture ourselves with humility. Okay, God, if you're talking to me here, Holy Spirit, if you want to, if you want to, if you're trying to bring some things up in my life, I'm willing to receive it. I'm going to take a position of humility. I'm not going to be stupid. What do I mean by stupid? Look at Proverbs 12:1. It says, "To learn, you must love discipline. It is stupid to hate correction." See, He's not punishing you. Jesus already took care of that on the cross. He's disciplining us because he loves us and it's for our future so that we'll grow to become effective believers, that we would live outrageous lives. So receive the rebuke. Secondly, open the door. Open the door to Jesus. Revelation 3.20, look, I stand at the door and knock. And here's the thing about Jesus. He is a gentleman. He's not gonna force his way in. He's not going to, I mean, he could walk through the door. He could pound the door down. He could get a key. He could do whatever he wants to. He's not going to. So I stand at the door and I knock. And he puts the ball in our court. He says, I brought the, the rebuke. You're lukewarm. You're, 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 you're not living the kind of lives that are going to make any kind of difference. But, but the ball's in your court. I stand at the door and I knock. I'd love nothing more than to come back into the church that I died for the church that I built. The gates of hell will not prevail against this church. I'd love to be a part, but, but it's your call. Are you gonna open the door or not? When I think about opening the door, I think about really surrender. It's about saying, all right, God, I, I'm gonna let you in. And for some of us, there's some messes behind that door. There's some heartache behind that door. There's some pain. There's some anger. There's probably some sin. There's some stuff that we'd rather not really Get, get, have God get too close to. And, and it's, it's an act of surrender to say, you know what, God, I open the door. I'm gonna let you in. What about you? Are there some areas of your life that maybe you haven't let him in? You haven't opened the door to him? I'd encourage you, receive the rebuke, open the door, and lastly, reconnect with Jesus. Reconnect with Jesus. Revelation 3.20. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. See, I love this verse. Jesus doesn't say, hey, open the door. I'm going to come in. We're going to get a vacuum cleaner. We're going to clean this thing up. Let's get this mess cleaned up and then we'll talk. No, he says, open the door. I just want to come in. Let's have a meal together. See, he's not about behavior modification. He's not looking for us to just clean up our acts so that he can be, he, he just, he's after our hearts. He wants a connection with, with, with us. He wants us to be passionate about our relationship with him, for us to be on fire for him. And, and so he says, open the door. I want to come in. I just want to connect. It's been a while. It's been a while since we've really connected at a heart level. You've kind of been going through the motions. I just want to, I want back in. I, I, want, to, I want to connect with my church, with my people. I want to hang out. So let's say Jesus sits down and he, he grabs a pen and a piece of paper and he, and he decides, I'm gonna write a letter to Seacoast Church. What's that letter gonna say? 
What would he say to Seacoast? You know, one of my biggest fears as a pastor is that we would become a church that's lukewarm. That we would become a church that's complacent about our relationship with God. You know, I know that 26 years ago, there was a group of people that were so passionate about Jesus, so burdened by the lost, so burdened by a community that didn't seem to have a, a lot of spiritual growth happening. and they, they were willing to do whatever it took. They sold homes, some of them took on debt, some of them probably did things they shouldn't have done, but they were like, whatever it takes, I'll do anything short of sin to see people be reached for Jesus. And they were passionate about God. And over the years, there have been many more of you guys that have been passionate. You've sacrificed, you've served, you've given so that we could get to this place. And how sad would it be for us to just kind of look around and go, man, this is great. Our campuses, we've got all, this peop all these people and all this stuff and just kind of drift into complacency. But let's get more personal. Let's say he sits down and writes a letter to Josh, a letter to you. Sits down, dear John, dear Jimmy, dear Katie. What, what, what's that letter gonna say? What's, that, what, what, what's he gonna say to you? And here's what I want us to do. You guys all got an outline sheet when you came in. We're gonna move into response here in just a moment. Pull that out. Some of you probably notice it's blank. You're thinking, oh Lord, what's Josh got to say? Nothing, I guess, but... Um, Here's what I want us to do with this. I just want you to pull it out of your outline sheet and as we go into our response time, just write at the top, dear, and fill in the blank with your name. Your name. We always ask you during response time, what's God saying to you today? Why is he here? What better way than just put it on paper? Pray, Lord, what are you saying to me? Is, is there an area of my life that I've become lukewarm? I've lost my passion for you. Maybe he'll highlight some of those things. Just write them down. Maybe what he's saying to you is good job. Keep fighting, keep praying, keep giving, keep serving, keep going, keep believing for that person. There's many of us that he may go, man, keep up the passion. But, but write out, dear blank, and let's just pray and believe that God's gonna speak to us as we respond to him. God, we thank you so much, uh, Lord, for your word. And God, as a church right now, collectively, we just open the door. We open the door of our hearts for you to come. Lord, examine us. Lord, highlight areas of our lives that maybe we need, to, we need to repent of or we need to grow in, God. Highlight areas of our lives. For some, you wanna just encourage. You wanna say, son, I'm proud of you. Well done, daughter, keep, keep going. Lord, and I pray that we would receive that, we would hear that. For others, God, you... You just need to get in our faces a little bit. As we respond, we're okay with that, God. We wanna hear from you, and Lord, we wanna respond humbly. You're our king. You're our master. You're our savior. Far be it for us to, to, to be too proud to listen to your words, to respond to you. So God, I pray that we would just uh, experience your presence in a fresh way. Lord, that we would experience uh, just your power, your presence as we respond to you in Jesus' name, amen.